Hi, everyone. You're listening to Who I Met Today, and I'm your host, Pam Lamp. I'm all about doing one tiny new thing every single day. And on this podcast, I invite you to come along with me and discover something new through conversations with people from all walks of life. I hope you enjoy listening to these interviews and exploring new territory with me. For more people stories and episodes, please visit my website, whoimettoday.com. It's holiday time, and I love to give and receive books. My guest today, Michelle Beckwith, is one of my go-tos for helpful book reviews and reliable recommendations. In this episode, she lists her favorite reads of 2023. Hi, Michelle. How are you today? Fine. How are you, Pam? So nice to be here with you. Thank you. The last episode, Sherry Pusey, a bookseller in California, came on the show and recommended books for kids. And today I'm excited to have you here to give some adult book recommendations so listeners can add them to their to-be-read list or pick up a last-minute holiday gift or both. Michelle, I enjoy following you on Instagram. You're at Bookshelf by Beckwith, and you feature, I think, well-organized, well-crafted book reviews. I will say, too, that your posts are very creative, and I often wonder how you come up with the little effects and tricks that you do. Some of the books you review I've read, most I have not, and I think that's what's fun, discovering new authors and titles. So let's get started with you giving us all a cocktail version of your background. Can you tell us where you live and what you did before you began reviewing books? I am happy to do that. I currently am living in Blue Hill, Maine, which is a small coastal town, almost to Acadia National Park. My work life was always connected to my moving around. I worked for many years in investment banking in New York City, in the tri-state area where I met my husband. And years later, we were expats in London for my husband's job. I had two small children, And I also had the opportunity to take some interior design classes when we lived there, which was really fun. And when we returned to the States in 2000, I finished my interior design certification and worked part-time in the business. We moved again to Houston for a few years for a different job. And during the pandemic, decided to reset things up here in Maine. And two and a half years later, it's just too nice to leave, frankly. I can imagine. It's beautiful country up there. When were you in Houston, Michelle? I used to live there. We lived in Houston for just a few years from 2018 to 2021-ish. It's all kind of a blur. We missed you. We were there before that. Well, how did you get started doing what you do, reviewing books? When I lived in Fairfield, Connecticut, I was very involved in the public library and was able to attend many publishing events in New York City because it was a a short hop on the train into the city. And I really enjoyed being a part of that and being a part of the bookish community. And when I moved to Houston, I felt kind of removed from that and then even more so removed when the pandemic hit. So it kind of just started as a hobby, and it was my way of connecting to a community that I definitely missed. And so how do you choose the books that you review? Good question, Pam. (laughs) It's been an evolution. 
I do have a number of trusted reviewers on Bookstagram that I really appreciate their wisdom and how they reflect on how certain books are for certain people and others are not. I also listen to a lot of bookish podcasts. I love the bookreporter.com, which is run by this woman, Carol Fitzgerald. She's been in the publishing business for ages and really is a treasure in the business. Oh, I'll have to check that one out. Thank you. She's fabulous. And then my very good friend, Claudia Silk, who is a public librarian. She is my go-to person. In fact, she and her sister and her family, they have a new Bookstagram account called Casey Girls Read, which is really fantastic. And when you say Bookstagram accounts, for those that perhaps don't know this, you mean other Instagrammers who talk books on the social media platform. Is that correct? That's correct. It has been kind of its own platform almost. I had a personal Instagram account for a number of years. I didn't really use it. And this Bookstagram community is bookish people talking about books and other things on Instagram. I noticed that you also review books that have not yet been released to the general public. So you have received an early copy of them. Can you tell us how that works? I started using this platform called NetGalley. It's a way for readers to connect with authors and with books that are coming out in the future. And it's all based on a system of being accepted if you request a book, and then you are obliged to read it and review it. And your profile and your rating system is based on the percentage of the books that you request and the books that you review. So once I got a handle on that, which took some time, it just sort of evolves into your request being accepted. And then publishers started to reach out to me and volunteer their books for me to read early and review for them. And how do you feel if you read a book and you can't give it a thumbs up or a highly positive review? How does that work? I actually have maintained a pledge to myself that my platform, my Bookstagram feed is positive only. I feel very strongly that the people that come to my profile and are looking for book recommendations are just interested in books that I have read and really enjoyed. Out of a five-star rating, all the books on my page are four or five stars. And I do have many, many books that I have read, not really enjoyed. I do disclose to the publishers directly how I feel and why I feel about that. But I, I just don't feel that it helps anyone for me to start bashing books on my page. That's not what my followers come to the page for. I like that, Michelle. If you can't be kind, just be quiet and don't say anything. Because I know that we all do not like the same books. And I may not like a book just because it doesn't come along at the right time in my life. But authors work hard and people like different things. So I like the idea that you only are positive in your reviews. Well, let's jump in because I know you have quite a list and I thank you for giving me a bit of a preview of your list before this recording. And 
I haven't read very many of them, so I'm excited to hear about them. Let's start out with historical fiction. That happens to be my favorite genre. Do you have a favorite genre, by the way, Michelle? I do love historical fiction as well, and that really got me into reading more frequently than I had been. But when we started with this list, I was surprised at how many mysteries popped up as books that I had really enjoyed over the past year. Well, let's go through historical fiction. So what do you have first on your list? First on my list is called House of Eve by Sadequa Johnson. I would consider it a mid-century historical fiction novel. It's about two young Black women living in two different cities in the 1950s, and they share a drive for academic excellence and personal enrichment in very different circumstances. They battle overwhelming challenges of racism, colorism, religious bias, economic disparity, and insurmountable family dynamics. I have read this book. Highly recommend it. I love the cover. And I just thought it was one of my favorite books that I read this year. Have you by any chance read Yellow Wife, another book by the same author? I have not, but it is very high on my backlist books to get to. Heard good things about that one, too. Yes. Me, too. My next up is called The Glass Chateau. It's by Stephen B. Kiernan, and it's a World War II historical fiction, which I only have one of those in this, <laughs> which was very surprising to me, but I'm trying to evolve my scope of timing of historical fiction. This one is inspired by the artistry of Marc Chagall, and the author eloquently unravels a tale of post-World War II survival, redemption, and accountability. The main character, Asher, moves through roles as a cobbler, a husband, father, and a resistant assassin, and finds himself on the doorstep of a French chateau making stained glass. I think that one sounds interesting. By the way, listeners, I'm putting these all in the show notes so you don't have to take notes as you're listening, but I've seen that advertised various places, and it also has a beautiful cover. Now, your next one is Go as a River by Shelley Reed. I have read that. Tell us about it, please. I'm sure many of you will be familiar with with this one. It's a debut novel, a coming-of-age historical fiction with definitely atmospheric scenes of nature. A peach farm in a small Colorado ranch town in the 1940s and the surrounding landscape play a pivotal and evocative role in this gorgeous debut. This coming-of-age novel with themes of forgiveness and resilience in a racially biased town has the beauty and treachery of nature prominent on every page. Well, and I read this one, as I mentioned, and really enjoyed it and did a little Googling after I read it. This is based on a true story of a town that was sacrificed, you know, back in the the 60s. And I read recently that because of the Colorado drought lately, parts of the town have been uncovered the water level has gone down. One article said that everything in the town had been burned back in the 60s, so it wouldn't float to the top of the reservoir. But because of the drought, you know, they've uncovered a gas station and a hotel and other things. It's an amazing story. And the author, I had the privilege to meet her last month, and 
she is from that area and knows the history and the topography quite well. And it's evident in her writing. Those would all make great gifts if anyone wants to make a last minute trip to the local bookshop before the holiday. What else do you have for us, Michelle? I have an excellent memoir that I recently read. It's called Being Henry, The Fawns and Beyond by Henry Winkler. Not your average celebrity memoir. There are no salacious details, dirty secrets, or jaw-dropping revelation. And this one is better in every way. Henry reveals his roller coaster ride from Yale drama through the Fonzie phenomenon and onto the years when his phone stopped ringing. The discovery of his dyslexia in his 30s informs so much about his complicated life and relationships and the incredible journey of authoring 39 children's books just magnifies my endorsement. Wow, I didn't know that about him. I am not a big reader of celebrity memoir, but I grew up watching The Fonz, so maybe that would be a very interesting one to me. I did read Green Lights. Actually, I didn't read it. I listened to Green Lights, Matthew McConaughey's story, and he narrated the audio version, and that one was good. Have you read that one, Michelle? I have read it. I actually listened to it as well, and that really took me by surprise. Mm -hmm. Me too. My daughter and I actually listened to that. She was moving to Austin from New York City, and we were driving from Houston to Austin, and that's what we listened to, and it was just about perfect. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great one. And I didn't have high expectations, I have to admit, when I went into that one, so it was a pleasant surprise. Sometimes books surprise you, don't they? They do. They do. Next, I think we're entering the thriller suspense category. We are. This is not a genre that I typically have a lot of titles to draw from, but one suspense novel that really drew me in was Drowning by T.J. Newman. Her follow-up to her wildly successful debut, Falling, is a propulsive story about the rescue attempt of an aircraft which has crashed and sunk into the Pacific Ocean. The author takes her vast knowledge and experience about aviation and takes it to the next level in this one, with well-drawn characters and themes of survival and hope integrated into a cleverly crafted plot. I really like this. And that sounds like it's just begging to be made into a movie. I do believe she has sold the rights to either both or one of those two novels. I guess they're not the books to read if you're a nervous flyer, (laughs) but she's a former flight attendant, right? She is. And fun fact, so am I. (laughs) Oh, you are. You have quite the background. Interior design, flight attendant, investment banking. You're a Renaissance woman. I do have either a short attention span or I'm interested in trying new things, one or the other. Well, I like that, as you know. Now, you said you had a lot of mysteries, and this is a category that I don't read a lot in. So I'm anxious to hear what your recommendations are for us. My first mystery thriller, you could call it, is A World of Curiosities by Louise Penny. The latest installment welcomes new readers into the story of a small village in Quebec Three Pines. It flashes back to the origin story of Chief Inspector Amand Gamache and sidekick Jean-Guy Belvier, 
as they try to solve a current day crime mystery with unforgettable cast of characters. There are 18 novels in the Three Pines series. Don't let that put you off. I was encouraged to jump back in to this series after I sort of fell off at book five by an interview that Penny herself gave and suggested this was a good time to jump back in. I've never read Louise Penny, but I know she has quite the following and is quite popular. What's next for us? Next up is a favorite for road trips when my husband and I travel by car. It's called The Last Orphan, and it's part of the Orphan X series by author Greg Hurwitz. Government-trained assassin Evan Smoke is Orphan X, also known as the Nowhere Man. Each installment features a plot with new allies and enemies and some who blur the lines. Reoccurring roles of some side characters bring levity and, dare I say, humor to the darkness of the story. And this is narrated by Scott Brick, who has narrated the entire series. I believe they're on to number 10. You could jump in at any point, but he has a critical role in telling the story with just sublime narration. So they're standalone books as well? Yes, definitely. The premise is the same in each of the books. I believe there was one that I didn't really enjoy as much as the others, but you could pretty much jump in at any point. Well, I like that you said that you and your husband listened to this one on a road trip because my husband and I will often look for a book to read at the same time so that we can discuss it. And that's not always easy to find one that we both love. So I'll keep that one in mind. I think it would do the trick. The next up is The Last Devil to Die. It's number four in the Thursday Murder Club series. The author is Richard Osman, who is actually a comedian in the UK. It's a cozy mystery, also known as Spies of a Certain Age, which is kind of a new genre featuring older senior citizens solving crimes. This new one, and in my opinion, the best one, features a group of octogenarians in an English retirement community who solve murder mysteries. These loyal and lovable sleuths will have you laughing out loud and crying into your cuppa with their cracking good dialogue and underlying spot-on sentiment. That's funny that you say there have been a run on older spy characters because a book that I liked recently published is called The Spy Coast by Tess Gerritsen. Have you read that? I have not, but I have it waiting for me on my Kindle. And I listened to the author interview she did with Cindy from Thoughts from Page. And the author lives up here and was talking about retired CIA citizens in Maine. And I know one who lives oh, close really? to me. Well, that's exactly what the book is about. Former CIA operatives in their 60s and 70s. That's one mystery I have read lately. And that was very good. Also, this just made me think of it. Any other mysteries for us? I do. And in keeping with your theme of main mysteries, this novel, which I recently read, will be in my best of 2023 list called The Berry Pickers, and it's by Amanda Peters. 
An indigenous family from Nova Scotia are in northern Maine on their annual blueberry picking job in the early 1960s when the youngest child, four-year-old Ruthie, goes missing. After an exhaustive and unyielding search, they must return to Canada with their despondency, which sets a multi-generational story of trauma and regret, haunting and hope into motion. I absolutely love this one. It's by a debut author. It's getting a lot of buzz in the publishing community, and I believe it is well-deserved. That's The Berry Pickers. I'll have to add that to my list for sure. Next up is a Midwest mystery called The River We Remember by William Kent Kruger. William Kent Kruger once again provides a masterclass in how to charm the hearts of readers with this Midwest mystery. The patchwork of profiles presenting a veneer of wholesome rural life harbors plenty of unrest where secrets marinate and lives are scarred by war and its aftermath. This is by the author of This Tender Land, Ordinary Grace, and the Cork O'Connor series, and I absolutely loved it. I keep hearing wonderful things about This Tender Land, and I have not read that yet either. So I love it that you're making my list so much longer. (laughs) You love it or you hate it, but (laughs) It will give you some ideas for Christmas presents for yourself, maybe, Pam. That's true. Absolutely. Can't go wrong with books. Never. Now, the next book on your list, you've classified as connected short stories. And I have to admit, I am not a short story reader, but maybe this next recommendation will change my mind. Can you tell us about it? I also am not a short story reader. I will admit to that. And I wasn't sure that I even realized this was a short story book when I picked it up. But I just love the premise of it. The book is called No Two Persons by Erica Bauermeister. The book's about one writer, nine readers, and each have a unique relationship with a single novel. Some characters meet and some do not, but the magic is contained within the relationships they each have with the book and the relationships they have either directly or peripherally with each other. It's just a beautiful novel about the love of reading, the pleasure of books, and the power of reading. I highly recommend it. Sounds good. Now, Michelle, what is the difference between literary fiction and contemporary fiction? That's a very good question, Pam, and frequently debated in the book community. My classification would be that literary fiction is more the heavy tomes, the drama, family stories, while contemporary fiction would be lighter reads, maybe with a little romance, maybe with a little magical realism. But I would say, in terms of my reading, that's how I would categorize the two. Do you have any recommendations for contemporary fiction for folks who may be looking for a lighter book? I do. I usually read contemporary fiction as kind of a palate cleanser for some of my heavier reads. I have enjoyed different authors, Catherine Center, Annabelle Monahan. Some folks that write in that 
severe. And I definitely give them four and five star ratings. But for the purpose of this interview, I wanted to focus on ones that kind of really blew me away. But I do use those lighter reads as my in-between reads. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, you mentioned Annabelle Monahan, and one book that I would recommend, she wrote Nora Goes Off Script, which was a, a huge seller last year. And then her book this year was Same Time Next Summer, which I really enjoyed. And then I want to put a plug in for a Nashville area author, Hope Gibbs, and her new book is called Where the Grass Grows Blue. It's a Southern fiction romance based in Kentucky, just a lovely book. And she's won all kinds of awards for it in the last few weeks. And some people are comparing her to Ellen Hildebrand. So I'm very proud of her. Excellent. Well, that's one for my list. Thanks for the recommendation, Pam. Yeah, it would be a palate cleanser and a very enjoyable one for you. What are you reading now, Michelle? Right now, I'm reading Pirate Hunters, Treasure, Obsession, and the Search for a Legendary Pirate Ship by Robert Person. And I'm reading that for a little book club group that Melody from the Books and Chicks Instagram page has started up. And I'm also reading The Heiress by Rachel Hawkins. She's a new-to-me author, but she is well-loved in the community. And I'm about 10% in, and it's very, very good. Are these books that are out now, or are they early reads, advanced copies for you? The Pirate Hunters was actually published, I believe, in 2018. It's kind of a follow-up book. He wrote the book Shadow Divers, which was oh, yeah. another, another mm -hmm. nonfiction book that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And this one has the same type of writing. It's fabulous. And The Heiress by Rachel Hawkins is coming out, I believe, in January. But she has a whole bunch of books on her backlist, which have been very, very popular. Well, a book that I just finished is due out in February. And if anyone wanted to purchase it for a gift, you could pre-order it now and wrap up an IOU. And then your recipient would get the book in February. So it would kind of be a double gift. But it's one of my favorites that I've read in a long time. It's by Kristen Hanna. And as soon as I got the email asking me if I'd like an early copy, I responded immediately. Kristen Hanna, it's called The Women, and it's about a surgical nurse in Vietnam. If you grew up watching MASH, it will remind you of that. But it was about the Vietnam War and just so many things I didn't know about. But embedded in that, and all the history was just a great story. And I would highly recommend that. Well, Michelle, it's time for one new thing. As you know, I always ask my guests what one new thing they've done or discovered lately. And besides books, what one new thing are you going to share with us? This has a little bit to do with books, actually more than a little bit to do with books. But this is a very new thing for me. I've been ruminating on something for many years. And I'm in the beginning stages of writing a middle grade historical fiction book. Oh, I love that. The story is when I lived in a Connecticut coastal town, I happened upon this antique house. I used to walk by it many times during my weekly travels and discovered that it used to be a school. And it has a unique 
connection to Ulysses S. Grant. And when we moved to Maine, I actually live very close to Castine, Maine, which has a very rich history, including French and British occupations and a direct link to Paul Revere. So I thought maybe that could be a good series starter. Well, congratulations. If you need an early reader, send it my way. I'd love to help you out. That would be fabulous. (laughs) It's just something that's been in the back of my mind for many, many years. And not very many people know that I have been even considering doing this. So I guess the cat's out of the bag now. I'm thrilled for you. Congratulations, like I said. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for all these great recommendations. I wish you a happy, healthy, peaceful holiday. Thank you, Pam. It's been such a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. A huge thank you to Michelle for joining me today. I wish you all a happy, healthy holiday season. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, I hope you'll listen to other episodes and spread the word about this new show. A huge thank you to Brian at Top Tier Audio for his advice and guidance. And thanks to you for tuning in. And remember, I'd love to hear from you if you discover a fun new thing. My email is pam at whoimettoday.com.